Warning, this episode has a high profanity quota and this sentence doesn't have any cuss words in it. It ramps up pretty quick from here. This week's episode of The Scathing Atheist is brought to you by Zip Recruiter and by everyone's favorite Bitcoin-themed boy band. That would be New Kids on the Blockchain. And now, The Scathing Atheist. I'm Wayne. And I'm Paul. Here at Mimi Call, we've taken note of a meme viralized by the Scathing Atheist crew. And as a couple of memes who use memes as a jump off to dissect our modern life, we can assure you, we, we did, did, in fact, fact evolve, evolve from, from filthy, filthy monkey, monkey men. It's January 18th. And I apologize for the Hawaii thing. I was just trying to close some porn tabs quickly. <laughs> I have no <laughs> illusions. I'm Eli Bosnick. I'm Heath Enright. And from New York, New York, Secret Lair, Pennsylvania, this is The Scathing Atheist. On this week's episode, we pound on the president's shithole. The humor of grabbing him by the s-hole is lost on him completely. And Seth Andrews will be here so the episode isn't just one long shit joke. But first, the diatribe. Y'all seen that shit with them fires over in California and the mudslides? I don't know why them folks on the Weather Channel won't just call it what we all know it is. It's the apocalypse. I mean, you can say what you want, but when God starts sending down fire and the earth is swallowing people up alive, it's pretty hard to deny that that's straight out of the Bible. And, you know, God's starting over there on that coast because that's where they keep all the homosexuals and whatnot. And look at all the other signs. Bible says there's going to be floods and droughts, and they is. Bible says there's going to be wars, and they is. I mean, there's wars right up there in Bible country. Bible says there's going to be discord, and folks ain't going to believe in Jesus enough, just like what you see on the news. And them heathens on CNN can ignore it all they want, but I know that when Jesus shows back up with that sword in his mouth or however it is he holds it, I'm going to be heading up to heaven to see Sparky and Mima while the rest of them sinners is burning in hell on earth. Now, there's something we've all heard a thousand times, right? I, I mean, I guess not all of us grew up in South Georgia, so maybe some of you guys are in the triple digits. But the point is, we've heard it. We've heard it enough that we can laugh it off and brag about all the various apocalypses that we've survived. We can scoff at it and silently fantasize about how awesome it would be if all those assholes actually got raptured one day. But the point is, we can ignore it. And it strikes me that our ability to ignore it might not be a good thing. I mean, obviously, we see how it's not good for them, right? And most of it's idle speculation, obviously. It's kind of the spiritual equivalent of deciding what you're going to do with your lottery winnings. Most of these would-be prophets don't have the conviction of a person who actually thinks the world is ending, right? I mean, they're, they're still putting money in their IRA and planning next year's family reunion, and they're not setting extra places for the scorpion horse locust when they do. But there are people who actually do think the world is ending on account of Harold Camp and told them so, and it's pretty obvious at a glance how bad it is for them. 
I mean, and it's bad for those folks on the periphery as well. There are plenty of Christians that might not be convinced that the world is like in the process of ending, but they're ready to welcome it with open arms when it does come. And and while they might still be investing in their own retirement, their carelessness about the generational equivalent betrays a populace that isn't worried about keeping Earth around for the long run. And what's the point in putting a lot of work into the sandcastle if you know God's going to come stomping over it like an irritated toddler in the next few minutes. But this isn't a diatribe about how bad it is to believe in the end of the world. This is a diatribe about how bad it is not to believe in it. Because look, screaming there's a wolf every hour on the hour doesn't decrease the likelihood that a wolf is actually going to show up. You know, the boy who cried wolf might be the antagonist of the story, but it's the sheep that get eaten by the fucking wolf at the end, right? Because look, all them fires and mudslides in California, those are a sign of the apocalypse. I mean, not the Christian one, mind you, but an apocalypse nonetheless. They're signs of an apocalypse that's being aided, no doubt, by the lack of a generational retirement account that rapturephilia induces. But the zealots and fundies can't bring about the end of the world on their own. To really end this shit, they're going to need the complacency of a populace that's been listening to assholes shout wolf from the hillside for thousands of years. I mean, look, you and I recognize the difference between a numerologist saying he divided Jesus by the square root of pi and figured out the world's going to end on May 21st of 2011 and, and an international body of accredited experts interpreting climate data and saying the global temperature is on the rise. But to all too many people, it's just more of the same. Turns out it doesn't matter how many letters you have after your name or how many pens you have in your pocket protector. You can't tell the average American the end is nigh without them snickering back. And it's hard to blame people for growing callous to it. Yeah, I mean, Armageddon isn't even the sole purview of religion anymore. Pseudoscience is always happy to provide a bullshit astronomical alignment or an ancient calendar that somehow failed to keep counting all the way to infinity that can serve as the catalyst for global destruction. I mean, anybody old enough to remember Y2K knows that even legitimate concerns can quickly be amplified into world-ending scenarios. So, quite naturally, we grow accustomed to it. And when somebody starts talking about the end of the world, most people just shut them right off. And most of the time, they're making a safe bet. But that's one of those bets you can only afford to lose once, right? I mean, no matter how many times you win it, you can never assume it's a safe bet next time. Sure, you can safely dismiss the religious claims about the end of the world, but that's because they're religious, not because they're claims about the end of the world. You can safely dismiss religious claims about any fucking thing, but somebody's end of the world claims demand your immediate attention. Now, of course, you already know that. Uh, you and I stand outside that phenomenon like a couple of Cassandras, but there's this vast swath of the population that can't be bothered to take existential threats all that seriously, and it isn't limited to the science-denying fundamentalists. You know, through a combination of callousness, ignorance, and optimism, even rational people are capable of just kind of skimming over this threat. And there's a lot of shit we've got to do to solve this problem, but a prerequisite to every single one of those steps is getting people to take the problem seriously. I mean, it's the kind of sentence you can't even imagine having to fashion in a world free of religion. But global extinction is not something you generally want your society acclimating to. They're talking about your Jesus. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you a special news bulletin. Joining me for headlines tonight are those two guys from the intro, Heath Enright and Eli Bosnick. Fellas, the listeners are dying to know, what do you guys do during the diatribes? Oh, um... Eat stuff usually. Uh, help Eli with his pigeon noises uh -huh. sometimes. Yeah, w work on my pigeon noises. McGuck! McGuck! I, I feel like we, we yeah, talked about that one. It's work. McGuck! That's a little McGuck? Yeah. Okay. 
All right, in our lead story tonight, from the giant gaping asshole file, according to multiple sources, the president of the United States labeled several countries as shitholes during a meeting about immigration reform last week. Those countries are Haiti, El Salvador, and the country of Africa. Yep, that one. <laughs> and although that sounds like a pretty unchristian thing to say, Pastor Mark Burns of Trump's evangelical advisory board that he has defended the comment using the Bible because the Bible is great for hating brown people like African-American pastor Mark Burns, for example. <laughs> Just starts whacking himself in the face with it. It's not me. It's the book. I swear. Yeah. Well, maybe he's whacking a Haitian with the book anyway. You know, As long as that guy woke back up inside 24 hours, that then it would right, be exact. Fair. Fair. <laughs> All right, so quick background on Mark Burns. He's a prosperity gospel preacher and also a big fat liar about other stuff, too. For example, <laughs> Burns claimed in his website bio that he had a university degree and also that he served six years in the Army Reserve, both clearly false. And uh, it turns out that when you appear on CNN, you're going to be talking with people who can check on that stuff. Yeah. Also, when you talk with pretty much anyone else. <laughs> so Burns went on CNN, got called out on the obvious lying, and tried to claim that his site got hacked. Well, and as, put to put credentials. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, hacked. Apparently by the most insanely subtle, long con, low payoff hackers ever. Yeah, no shit. Yeah, well, we just got done switching the red and yellow O's on the Google logo. What next, guys? <laughs> All right, should we hack this Bitcoin exchange? Or, hold on, hear me out. Should we embellish the CV slightly of this pastor? Yeah, and, and what's great is he repeated these lies through his mouth. So yes, how the heck yes. has got him to say those things? That's some Black Mirror shit right yeah, there. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> Yes. So, so Burns has been a big Trump supporter over the last few years, and he became an official member of Trump's uh, First Amendment erosion board mm -hmm. in 2016. And just for the record, when asked if he thinks Trump is a racist, which is a reasonable question for the African-American Trump supporter, Pastor Burns responded, quote, he's probably the most least racist person there is, end quote. <laughs> Possibly my favorite quote about Trump. <laughs> you know, I a lot of the statements of Trump supporters only become true if you get super creative with your punctuation. For example, parentheses around most least with a slash in the middle. That's a true statement. Ooh, yeah, you, you can math you it out. You can math it out. <laughs> so the, uh, the pastor appeared on CNN once again last week and explained how the book of Timothy agrees with Trump about the shithole countries. Does it? And continents, I guess, also. Uh, according to Burns, it says in I, Timothy 5.8 <laughs> that shithole countries are worse than atheists. Really? Ooh, yeah. yeah. I mean, w which has nothing to do with immigrants, but yeah, stop trying to confuse things with logic. Trump's great. <laughs> it makes no sense, whatever he was talking about. <laughs> Timothy, I don't know. But point being, Trump's so racist, he won't even take up the white man's burden. <laughs> Like it's amazing. Show yes! him, he won't even do it. He's beyond Rudyard Kipling race. Like show him that poem, and he's like, "Oh, Rudyard Kipling sounds like a shithole loving hippie." What's next? I'm the president. I'm the president of the United States. Yeah, a man who would have sent us into nuclear war, but he was busy golfing. Yeah. <laughs>
It's true. Sorry. And in mountaineer sighted news tonight, Republican State Senator Mike Azinger introduced a pair of bills to the state legislature last week that can only be interpreted as a concerted effort to make West Virginia such a cultural shit stain that the Civil War winds up being a break even for the state of Virginia. SB 257 (laughs) seeks to legally insulate mental health professionals who try to torture the gay out of children. And SB 252 would require every public school district to offer classes in Jesus being super awesome. Fuck you. Seriously, (laughs) I I don't understand why we keep these shithole states. Right. Can can we trade them out for Norway or something? (laughs) Two votes. Also, yeah. I love that there are five SBs in between those two pieces of yeah. theocracy. What are they doing? the bridge on I-95. Yeah, right. right, right. Rails. That post office needs a renaming. Um, Torture so, yeah. children. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to start with, with the uh, Bible classes. Um, obviously, these fundy assholes have been trying to force the Bible down the throats of school children ever since we told them to stop. Uh, luckily, though, the Constitution is our, on our side with this one. But here's their little bullshit workaround. See, there's no rule against having a class about the Bible. Right. You can have a class where you talk about its cultural influence, its influence on literature, music, art, etc. And that's actually a good class to offer. It's, it's like studying Shakespeare. Right. I mean, it doesn't matter if he was a real guy. You should still know the stuff that's attributed to him. That's cool. That's cool. No, exactly. Exactly. Study Shakespeare. It's a great way to land a job at one of those big podcasding firms. (laughs) Study Shakespeare. It's good. Or a TGI Fridays. They take a lot of Shakespeare studiers. Or or a big podcasting firm and then a TGI Fridays when we implode because Patreon decides they only take Bitcoin now. <laughs> I'm just saying I kept my flare buttons. Memento Mori. Memento Mori, people. <laughs> but of course, now, in practice, classes like those virtually always turn into thinly veiled Sunday school classes. Or not so thinly veiled Sunday school classes, especially when they're fucking state mandated. And hey, you know what? Let me take a wild fucking guess here. None of the West Virginia school districts have a teacher on hand qualified to teach a class in Hebrew scriptures with an emphasis on artistic influence. (laughs) Right. What you end up with is what Kentucky wound up with when they did the same shit. Pending lawsuits. <laughs> yeah, watch. A hundred years from now, they're going to be marching around statues of Kim Davis with tiki torches. Yeah, right. Guaranteed. <laughs> Holy shit, fellas, it's melting. Damn it, Ned, for the third time, that's just what she looked like. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a little less to say on SB 257, and not because it's less important. Um, That's the one that seeks to protect gay conversion therapists, but just that there's not much to say other than fuck you, Mike Azinger. Your mindless and heartless zealotry has prompted you to publicly endorse torturing children for being gay and to announce to history that you are a callous, vile, contemptible, repugnant, thoughtless, disgusting, malevolent, deluded, obsolete piece of shit. That's all I had to say on that one. (laughs) Indeed. And in so close to self-aware news tonight, Christian rights activist Matt Staver angrily described a painting of an asshole this week, which he didn't realize was a mirror. Appearing on Crosstalk this week, Matt, who spells his name with one T so that everyone can be entirely certain Uh, he's a terrible person, uh, took to the airwaves to warn everyone that Andrew McDonald better not become chief justice of the Connecticut Supreme Court because a gay guy could never give a Christian a fair trial. Yeah, and and that's probably true, but... 
totally a gay guy's fault, right? I mean, can a judge sentence himself to death by stoning? Are you even allowed to? <laughs> we'll ask Andrew, but I doubt it. I don't think it's like Air Bud. Yeah. Like, <laughs> they probably thought this one through. You know how that friend of yours that's always cheating on their spouse is always convinced their spouse is cheating on them? It's, it's like that with bigotry as well, apparently, <laughs> and that's what this story's about. Exactly. Yeah, so obviously Staver understands that, above all, it's vital for a Supreme Court justice to be unbiased by their beliefs and lifestyle, like, you know, Neil Gorsuch saying, yeah. quote, do you think that if you had an Aaron and Melissa Klein or a Jack Phillips bakery or anything else like that, where you have the LGBT clash with religious freedom or freedom of expression come before this judge? Do you think this judge is going to be open and fair, irrespective of what he does to rule based on the Constitution and the rule of law? I don't think so. Yeah, right. because the founding fathers would be like, Okay, time out on the penis cake. What the fuck are all these women and Negroes doing in the courtroom? Are we hanging them here? Or is it, I mean, it's convenient, I guess. God, what a convoluted... Fu That's one sentence that Eli just read. <laughs> Holy shit. There are yeah, so many... Yeah, permanent sick. Oh, God. And, and look, unless he thinks objectivity is contained in some kind of one-way ass hymen, there's no way he can both believe what he's saying and understand what objectivity means, Right. I mean, instead, he just assumes everyone's as much of a bigot as him and uses the word impartiality to mean agrees with me. You can't just move the words like that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I think you found it. And to be fair, he's got a point. I mean, can you imagine how hard it would be for a black guy to think fairly and objectively about Dred Scott? I mean, except for Clarence <laughs> Thomas, who would have just voted however Scalia voted. He was the oh, first. Geez. He was the first me, too. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> That bit's double funny because he is accused of sexually harassing yeah. his wife. <laughs> we, Hill we appointed him wow. anyways. It's a whole thing. Either he way, thought. I think we can agree that Staver's <laughs> got the right idea, which is why all Republicans will recuse themselves from everything ever, uh, forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, quick before Eli's Clarence Thomas comments turns into a pondering of what that would be like. We're going to pause oh, for a quick break it. and hand things over to my lovely wife, Lucinda. A man wrote the Bible. A whore is what she was. If it's a legitimate rape. It makes you a slut, right? It, cooking can be fun. Hey, I'm proud of a man. This week in Massachusetts. You know, sometimes as I peruse the ever-expanding files of assholery that make up my source material, I can't help but think that when it comes to religion, there is no right way to be a woman. Take, for example, Macy Hornig, who went to the soft open of a Chick-fil-A in her hometown in North Dakota, but had the audacity to bring her baby, which then had the audacity to need to eat. And as you've already surmised, no sooner did she start breastfeeding her child than the manager instructed her to cover up her baby or leave. Macy explained that her baby wouldn't eat covered and she was kicked out. Now, the manager has since apologized, but maybe motherhood is the problem here. After all, babies are nothing but trouble. However, sadly for a 22-year-old Nepalese woman named Gari Kumari Bayok, not being pregnant turned out to be the problem. See, Gari comes from a Hindu tradition that believes women are so toxic during menstruation that if they touch a tree, it will forever be barren of fruit. So, you know, keep that in mind before you piss away any time weeding your garden. Either way, this particular bizarre piece of bat shittery left Gari in a hut without windows with temperatures close to freezing because everybody was afraid of her fruit-withering powers. To keep warm, she built a fire in the windowless hut and asphyxiated from the fumes because that was quicker than freezing to death. 
Interestingly, Nepal outlawed this archaic practice last year, but they allowed a one-year grace period before punishing people who broke the law, and this woman died for it. But Lucinda, you say, those examples don't affect me. They're in faraway shithole countries like Nepal and, and North Dakota. Surely a woman in the modern, internet-connected world can escape religious sexism, can't she? Well, I'm sad to say that no, you can't. Even YouTube has sexism these days. I'll give you a minute to recover. This one comes to us from astute listener Morgan, who sent me a link to a channel called Girl Defined this week, where host Bethany Baird and Kristen Clark dedicated 15 minutes of airtime on how to wear makeup, biblically. The summary, don't whore it up. It also included this chilling as fuck quote. So for me, when it comes to most things in life, I won't like black and white answers. I'm very black and white, and I want to know what's right and what's wrong. Just tell me what to do and I'll follow it. And when it comes to makeup, I kind of want the same thing. Yeah, we wouldn't want you to think. So while I look forward to their upcoming video on how to get wet while staying dry at the same time, and while you try to figure out if that's a dirty joke or not, I'll turn things back over to Noah, Heath, and Eli. Thank you, Lucinda. And in disestablishment clause Arianism news tonight, FEMA announced on their website last week that you could go fuck yourself. But to avoid the not safe for work triggers, they chose to paraphrase that with a policy change that makes it clear that they will be spending your tax dollars to rebuild churches after disasters. Because who needs a First Amendment when you've got the Trinity Lutheran decision, am I right? In other news, Dave will be getting 1% of our GNP. Swell guy, Dave. Trust us. <laughs> okay, just um, just so everybody knows what you're talking about, describe GNP. Oh. What, is, what is GNP, Eli? <laughs> um, it's a fitness store. And it has protein powder <laughs> and cliff bars. So close. That's yeah. a component, technically. <laughs> what is? It is. <laughs> All right. I did it. So... <laughs> So the new policies come in the wake of widespread and uninformed outrage over FEMA's refusal to spend their limited resources rebuilding churches in Texas after Hurricane Harvey. And even the phrasing of the policy portrays the backward-ass anti-logic that motivated that backlash. Quote, nonprofit houses of worship will not be singled out for disfavored treatment, end quote. Because you know how, like, when the government makes me buy my own milk just because I'm not a destitute pregnant woman, they're singling me out for disfavored treatment? Racist. (laughs) More like when the government doesn't buy you more milk to replace the milk you got for free from the destitute pregnant woman who can't afford to give you her milk. (laughs) Closer. Closer. It's like we kidnapped a bunch of homeless pregnant women, we stole their breast milk, and gave it to Creflo Dollar for a jet party. And now we're reupholstering his jet. Yes. No, right, okay, we've it nailed rained. it. I get we've, it. Yeah, yeah okay. exactly. Now we have nailed it. Now, the new FEMA policy and the press they put out around it specifically cites the Trinity Lutheran decision to justify it. But as executive director of the Secular Coalition for America, Larry T. Decker points out in a press release about the new policy, the Trinity decision was justified by the bullshit notion that the playground in question was a secular part of the church. Whereas FEMA's now talking about buying them new pews. He concludes, quote, it is frankly appalling, but unsurprising to see the religious right exploiting natural disasters to justify using FEMA like an ATM, end quote. And finally tonight, in there can only be un news tonight. (laughs) Christian prophet Cindy Jacobs posted a video this week letting us know that God will destroy Kim Jong-un unless he becomes a Christian. (laughs) 
at DPRK. This is God. Someone tell that fat kid in charge of your shithole country that I can create a button so big I can't even press it. <laughs> wait, wait. Not, not that, but really fucking big. I'm God. Now, regular listeners to our show may remember Miss Jacobs for, one, looking like she has a Pekingese and witness protection on top of her head, or her many prophecies and miracles. According to Jacobs, she has helped a woman grow three inches instantaneously. Yes. So... Lucinda, get on that shit. She's turned metal into bone and she's moved clouds out of a photo shoot because she can control the weather. In short, she's a fucking crazy person. Yes. She created a reverse Wolverine somehow. Yeah, right. So it, it just like, and to give you an idea how fucking crazy, when you hit her biographical bullet points, you have to leave out stuff like she claimed gays in the military were responsible for a massive bird die off. Just that just has to get edited what? out to make room for the really crazy shit. <laughs> and she looks like she always just won an argument about her expired dinner coupon. Yes. And then ate cum without knowing it because that's how that works. Everybody. Yeah, those, those two things don't, always go together. Don't argue about your expired dinner coupon. Just like, uh, you like, you're you're going to eat You cum. like books, Cindy? Here's a small one. <laughs> the new target of crazy this month is North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un, or as I call him, Lil' Kim, yeah. saying, quote, God is hardening his heart like Pharaoh's heart. He's not going to allow Kim Jong-un to stay in that position. He is not going to allow compromise to come. Something is going to dramatically happen because his time for being a dictator is over unless he turns his heart to the Lord, end quote. Right, like, uh, like all of Hawaii eventually did after 38 minutes. <laughs> God was just doing a nuclear pump fake. He got all yeah. the converts. This is a good move. Okay, wait, I'm trying to put this together. Okay, so God is hardening his heart so that he can't, be a dictator anymore unless God stops hardening his heart? <laughs> Do you think Christian recipes are like this too? Like step one, dice the eggs. Step two, boil them. You know, like just... <laughs> yeah, so the problem here is obviously not nuclear escalation. It's all the godlessness. Mm -hmm. She continues, quote, maybe somehow Kim Jong-un, if you're watching this... Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah of course. Sure he was. Of sure course. He was. <laughs> if you are... Turn your heart to the Lord Jesus. There are people praying for you. And if you will completely change, God is going to help you on a path that will not be destructive. So you can choose, Kim Jong-un. You choose who to serve. If you serve God and if you change your ways, God will protect you. He will protect North Korea in a unique way and make peace with what? South Korea. But if you continue on your path, it will lead to your destruction. And the sad thing about that is your destruction will lead the path to hell. And it will be eternal. Eternal what will happen to you. End quote. <laughs> Jesus fucking. Okay. So in other words, the crazy babblings of a Christian fundamentalist on YouTube can only be distinguished from official foreign policy by the fact that they're too articulate. Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to be at bridge for a couple of seconds. <laughs> And uh, side note, Kim Jong-un, if you're listening, and I know you are, uh, please do not blow up South Korea during the Hearthstone World Championships this weekend. I really want to see if Purple's <laughs> Control Warlock can overcome the cube. So just like, wait up, <laughs> don't mind. And quick, before I accidentally learn what any of that shit means, we're going to close the headlines for the night. Heath, Eli, thanks as always. Jumanji. And when we come back, Seth Andrews of the Thinking Atheist podcast will be here to um, think, I guess, probably. A really beautiful <laughs> voice. Mm -hmm.
Okay, and and this text, uh, it means that she wants you to ask her out. But no, but she said she wants to see the movie with you. But I don't want to see that movie. Hey guys, I what you doing? Trying to explain girl code to Heath. I swear, this is a full time job. Huh. Full time job. Well, why not use ziprecruiter.com? What's ziprecruiter.com? Well, it's the smarter way to hire, Eli. ZipRecruiter posts your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. Then, ZipRecruiter actively looks for the most qualified candidates and invites them to apply. No wonder 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. Wow, 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day? Okay, now she said, you look delicious, winky face. And what does that mean? She's a cannibal. I hate him. Okay, I'll try ZipRecruiter. How do I do it? Well, Eli, you can find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. Right now, our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash scathing. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash scathing. One more time to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash scathing. Well, I hope that one day thing is true because I cannot take much more of this. Okay, you got to admit, this is confusing. This one here. She texted, please put your penis in my vagina. I see what you mean. ZipRecruiter.com, the smarter way to hire. Right? No. Confusing. (laughs) I love that so much. Hey, podcast listener, do you like questions? Uh, what? Do you like answers? Well, did you know that we just released a patron-only Q&A that's over an hour long? That's right. Want to know how Heath likes his scotch? Whether Eli is a furry? How about why Noah didn't like The Last Jedi? Then head over to patreon.com slash scathing and give as little as a dollar to find out the answer to all the questions you never thought to ask. But wait, there's more. Give us even more money and we'll send you signed copies of our books. Noah will even sing you a song. Not like that. But most of all, you could ask questions next month that your burning heart has always wanted to know. That was your heart. Patreon.com slash scathing. Because if you don't pay for this show, I'll drive for Uber. things I find most fascinating about Christian fundamentalism in modern America is the Truman Show-esque parallel reality that they fashion for their kids. They consciously construct an alternative universe that sits right on top of our own, complete with its own schools, its own museums, its own movies, its own TV shows, its own amusement parks, and of course, its own music. Well, my guest tonight knows a little bit about all of that and quite a bit about the latter. Seth Andrews spent more than a decade working in the Christian music industry before giving up the Holy Ghost and becoming one of the pioneers of atheist podcasting. He's the host of The Thinking Atheist. He's the author of Deconverted, A Journey from Religion to Reason, as well as Sacred Cows, A Lighthearted Look at Belief and Tradition Around the World. And as near as I can tell, he's one of the nicest guys in atheism. Seth, welcome to The Scathing Atheist, sir. 
It's great to be here. After all this time, I feel like I'm on hallowed ground. I've journeyed to Mecca. I'm on the scathing atheist. It's pretty amazing. Thanks, dude. Thanks I, for the invite. I got to tell you, man, it's it's a it's a voice jealousy thing. I don't mind saying it. <laughs> There's a certain Didn't we have some thing. There was some podcast award, and we were recording shit about each other. And I, this was years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to remember the context of it, but they're like, "Hey, record this about the scathing atheist, and just be brutal about it." And but I, I came to the realization I'd never had a chance to actually talk to you on your own show. So it's good to be here. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, yeah. No, we've had you on GAM to uh, do a few Christian movies with us. But, uh, yes, it's as surprising as, uh, to me as it is to you. Um, very excited. Like I said, you are absolutely like one of the pioneers and one of the people whose shows I really looked up to when I started this. Uh, one of the people who I think really set the bar for atheist podcasting. So I appreciate, uh, appreciate you setting it so high. Well, it's <laughs> it a lot of fucking I, mean, I don't know about yeah. I mean, it's just one guy blathering on, you know. But I was listening to the intro, and you're absolutely right about how Christianity is. It's like buying the generic version of the cereal, the breakfast cereal that you loved, right? I mean, <laughs> Christian culture has. I did a whole speech on it a few years ago. It's on YouTube. You can just look it up. It's called the Copycats, and it talks about how Christian pop culture would just wait around for whatever was hot in pop radio, rock radio, the games, the things people were talking about, cartoons, superheroes, whatever. And within just a matter of months, in some cases, they would have a Christian version of it. And they would say, well, why would you want to infect your children with the devil's stuff when we have something even better here that's all about Jesus? But of course, 99.999 times out of 100 their creations were just horribly cheap knockoffs and embarrassing to watch and listen to. But, you know, Christianity was so glad to have its own thing. And it was so uninterested in what the rest of the world thought about it that it was high-fiving. Hey, man, you know, we, we've got a great song on Christian pop radio. It's totally original. Meanwhile, regular pop radio was just face-palming left and right. Yeah, well, okay, so now were you raised in that in that parallel Jesus universe, that fundamentalist bubble? Oh yeah, mom and dad hardcore fundamentalists. Uh mom wrote a Greek New Testament study guide. That's how hardcore she was. Wow. They met at Oral Roberts University. That's where they were both going to college. I was conceived, I shit you not know, I was conceived in the Holy Lands. My parents <laughs> took their honeymoon in Jerusalem. Oh. They walked the shores of Galilee. This was their idea of like where to go once you get married. And so, I mean, you're raised in this. I'm in third grade in public school and I come home and tell mom something I'd I'd heard in homeroom about Neanderthal man. And of course, mom's like, eh, 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 you know, right. but wait, that's not in the Bible. Neanderthal man's not in the Bible. And she just immediately scooted us out of the public school system into private Christian schools. And we stayed there through graduation and we had just Christian everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the church is really good at creating this. It's like the village, you know, I mean, you don't have to leave the boundary. There's always a Christian something to do with Christian people. It's just constant reinforcement. Well, you know, and I wonder how much harder it is to insulate kids to that degree in the post-internet world. But yeah, when you and I were growing up, if if all your friends were listening to these songs, then obviously you would think that those were the songs. Yeah, and we were sanctimonious about it, you know. I mean, I, I was, I was, 
I'm sure I repelled so many people in high school because I was Mr. Jesus. I was a Youth for Christ spokesman and and uh, I was Mr. Chapel leader and student council president, blah, blah, blah. So I'm this, I'm the guy that like, you know, I mean, it was okay if the kid brought me home, but the parents always loved me. Oh, what a wonderful boy. He's so Jesus-like. He plays, he plays piano and loves Christian music. And, you know, and I, I'm just like, I was like, I was carved out of wax. I wasn't even a human being for Pete's sake. And, uh, I, I had people in my car, we'd go to lunch because we had open campus and I'm playing, you know, all of my Patrick cassettes just to make sure that everybody in the car is listening to Christian music, man. It's awesome. Rocking for Jesus. And I'm sure they would just as soon have gotten out at whatever intersection we were at and walked back to the campus <laughs> because I was so irritating, you know? All right. So now if this brings up an obvious question. Was there like a moment for you? When you realize that Christian music sucked? <laughs> well, I think under the surface, um, you know, one thing about, I wrote about this in my autobiography, but, you know, it, there was, there was an affection that we had for the basement, you know, the bargain basement on a shoestring, spit and tinfoil Christian artist and albums. We knew it wasn't great quality. We knew they didn't have the resources. We knew that they didn't have the big record labels and the budgets. But we were so anxious to see it succeed that we forgave a multitude of sins. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, we admitted in a lot of ways that, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's sure it's rough around the edges, but at least it's Christian, right? And at least it's ours. It's something we kind of had in our back pocket. This was David versus Goliath. You know, yeah, they weren't on the major award shows and they weren't making squillions of dollars. But because they weren't, we actually sort of took them more personally. Mm -hmm. And um, it took me a while, you know, after I began to, you know, eke away from the business that uh, I came to the realization that, uh, you know, there are a few there there are a few religious songs that are good. Um, but most of what you hear is either straight up copycatted. Or it's so slickly marketed that I don't think it can sincerely be called a sincerely religious song. It's it's too polished. You can tell this is a conditioned response thing where they're going for a certain look, a certain sound. Everybody's airbrushed. You don't find any unattractive people on Christian album covers, you know? Right. I mean, it's the same marketing bullshit they do for everybody else. They just do it with Jesus attached to it because they want to serve that niche, you know? Hmm. Right. Okay. So let's let's shift gears here from from user to pusher. Um, little Sethy grows up rocking out to Backstreet Altar Boys or whatever it was. Dreams of one day working in Christian music. He achieves his dreams. It's a it's a touching story. But 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 let's talk about the reality of it. Like, what kind of stuff did you do? I mean, I, obviously you you were a DJ, but you were like, like a public face of this station as well, right? Well, you know, when I started, I started at this unusual time. You know, my first year in Christian radio at KXOJ. The studio is a shack out in a suburb of Tulsa. It's called Sepulpa, Oklahoma. It's right uh, in probably 12 minutes from downtown. And, you know, we're in a field with cows walking around the building. And and so, I mean, it was not uncommon for me. And I'm it, you think radio is a glamorous gig, but the truth is we were working long 12-hour shifts, sometimes 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. alone in there, um, you know, just spinning discs and between discs, it was, you know, uh, 100.9 FM KXOJ with Stephen Curtis Chapman. Coming up next, it's prayer time. You know, hang on. And, you know, you do that six times an hour, 12 hours a night sometimes. 
it, you know, the glamour wears off. You see a cow looking in through the window, the glamour really wears <laughs> so off. Right. We had during the wintertime, we we because we were in this big field, we had this mouse trap in the we had the AM transmitter room for an AM station we owned in the room next door. And so in the winter, in the very cold winters, the mice and the rats would come into the studio and get into the transmitter to get warm because it was bloody cold out. So I mean, we'd be on the air sometimes in the middle of uh, prayer time. Dear Lord, we ask that you that you be with Bob who sent us his prayer request. His mother's got the flu tonight, and you hear this snap. <laughs> <laughs> As some poor rodent was dying a horrible death in the other. Room. And God, we sacrificed to you. Yeah, right, yeah. right. But I mean, we played, uh, we played the music. We we emceed the concerts. We did the live broadcast. We did a lot of you know promo type stuff, community service. But the thing is, is that Christian music really exploded in the mid '90s as major record labels finally realized, hey, wait a minute, we got a market here. Mm. There's there was a backlash to what was then, be, at the time, a controversy over lyrics and albums, the sexuality of certain artists and, and groups and songs and sex and violence and music. Remember, in the 80s, they had the big warning label, the big Chipper Gore hearings and all that about, uh, you know, is this music causing crime? Yep. Is it causing Satanism? And so these record labels realized, hey, wait a minute, you know, we can market a family safe deal. So they went in and bought up all these little hole in the wall boutique record labels. And in the mid 90s, contemporary Christian music was the fastest growing, by far the fastest growing genre of music in the United States. And it remains a multi-million dollar uh, industry today. It's very profitable. All right. So let me ask you about these like Christian concerts, because I've been to concerts and, and, and of course, I've I'm not religious. So I have this image of a Christian concert really being a church service with, you know, lighting and possibly pyrotechnics if they've got the money for that. Is that accurate or? Some of it. Yeah, some of it. Well, it really depends on the artist. Amy Grant was the first to water that down. But before that, it, you could almost see the arc of the concert. They open big. Uh, sometimes there's lights and fog and, and pyrotechnics. This increased as the budgets increased through to the late 90s. But all of a sudden, you know, as Amy Grant crossed over to pop success and if everybody else wanted to do what she had done, well, the way you do that is you don't have the altar called at the end of the, of the concert, which is what a great many artists are doing. Uh, back to the original question, I'll, I'll come back to the pop crossover. Normally, they, they start big, they have kind of an ebb and flow, upbeat, they have a moment in the middle where they're doing kind of more ballads, they're co connecting with the audience. Another, um, you know, sort of swell, and then they would always finish with the band playing um, very emotive music as the lead singer or whoever would give a sermon. And quite often at Christian concerts, they would have an altar call and people, it's like a Billy Graham crusade. People would come forward. And of course, the emotions were hugely high because these concerts, you know how music really does affect you. It touches the heart. It, it's such a sensory experience. People are already emotional. Well, especially when you're experiencing it in a, in a big group like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you got goosebumps. Many times there's tears in your eyes. And many of the people on stage were very convincing. They were... Uh, they're just great performers, if you will. And they would say, you know, tonight, this time, who would like to get their life right? Who's never met Jesus? And they would actually have an altar call. Now, this started to wane in the mid to late 90s because we wanted to see Christian music transcend this cocoon that it had been 
imprisoned in before. We wanted everybody, not just Christians, to know it existed. And so radio stations and the artists began to pull back on the churchiness of what they did. And this was true in the radio. We were told, you don't say God or Jesus on the air ever. Uh, We don't have a Christian positioning statement. We don't say Jesus music or a station for Christ. It was always family safe or positive hits. Uh, We don't want people, we want people who are scanning the radio dial to hear a song. The songs do the quote unquote ministering and we'll just be like every other jock, every other radio DJ, every other broadcaster in the market. And our hope was, is that for a few days before they got hooked, they really wouldn't jive because they were listening in the background. They wouldn't really realize this was religious music and then we'd get them hooked And so you begin to see the religiosity dial way back in the late 90s as they tried to emulate what was successful in pop radio and increase the repeal. My God, that is so much more insidious than I thought. Like, so, like, (laughs) basically, I mean, you know, obviously you couched it in the terms that you would have used back then, but. Yeah. You were trying to trick people into listening to religious shit because, oh, yeah. Um, because yeah, right. Like you turn on the music. Oh, family safe. Okay, cool. I got my kids in the back. And then the kids are obviously going to be paying a little more attention to the music than you are. And yeah. Wow. No, I mean, it was most, most of these radio stations, most uh, what we call CCM, uh, contemporary Christian music. And then the, the edgier ones were called CHR. They reached their main target audience was females 18 to 34. Uh, some of them stretched into the 40s, 18 to 49. But essentially, we were targeting the moms mm-hmm. because our marketing research had said that if you get mom, if you have mom listening, mom controls the radio in the car. If you get mom, you're going to get dad and the kids by default. You're going to get the whole freaking family. Well, in such a crazy and insane world with so many detrimental things that might happen to your children, mothers were, according to our market research, were desperate to find resources that were positive, had good positive messages in them, were not going to harm or in any way lead their children astray. So it was very much a marketing move to say, we are safe for your family. In fact, that was KXOJ's tagline for many years. Many stations say positive hits, you know, where there's a bunch of negative and there's a bunch of nastiness out there. We're positive. We'll build you up. We'll make you feel better. Never once do they say God or Jesus. It's always about positivity and safety. And we, we sought out the uh, sort of the matriarchs of the family in the hopes that we'd get them. And then by default, we'd get everybody else. Yeah, no. And I guess that makes so much sense because, yeah, right. Like in the 90s, the music went so far the other way that you could see that backlash happening. Just like, where, you know, gourmet food got more popular, the more uh, microwavable stuff was available. <laughs> Yeah, we're looking at people who were revolting against sort of a Tarantino-esque culture, and they were like, has the world gone crazy? Is there no safe haven for our children? And of course, the Christian radio stations and TV stations and bookstores, they were busy marketing and shilling for all this stuff. Of course, many of them making healthy returns. I mean, those who think that people are in Christian music and in Christian retail and in Christian industry are doing it just for the love of doing it. Many people do, and they do it because they believe, but don't tell me there's not money changing hands and that it's not hugely profitable because I know that it is. Right, right. Yeah. Well, it depends. I mean, for for Ken Ham, not so much, but for some of these (laughs) folks, yeah, there's money to be made. Well, some hole in the wall radio station, not so much, but if you're like a Lifeway Christian store, you know, those guys, I mean, Hobby, how much money is Hobby Lobby made by closing on Sunday so other people can go to church and sell on this stuff? 
And Hobby Lobby also owns another Christian retailer called Mardell. And Mardell, you know, they sell everything from Jesus, oil paintings to cross necklaces and earrings. They have T-shirt lines. I mean, there's money changing hands left and right. It's There's a huge market out there for this stuff. Yeah, no, I lived in South Georgia for a while. We had a Lifeway store there and I was doing a photo shoot for a website we were building. And I so I went in there to try to find some like, you know, Jesus toys and stuff for kids to use for this photo shoot. <laughs> And the whole time I was so nervous, I felt like I had to have an excuse, like I had to pretend that I was buying something for a Christian nephew or something like that. It was, it was, yeah, it was a frightening experience, mostly because when I got back to the kids thing, they actually had what the, um, oh, it wasn't David and Goliath, but it was an armored play set with a holy sword in it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it struck me an awful lot like the Muslim store having a play IED or, or uh, suicide vest. <laughs> well, you know, what was amazing in those Christian retail stores is how many books are on sale to explain the book that supposedly should require no explanation. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. I mean, you know, oh, thanks, Dr. James Dobson. Thanks for the explanation. You know, I just it's so transparent now that I'm on the other side of it. And I look back and I shake my head and beat myself up for for not seeing it sooner. But, yeah, I mean, it'll make you cynical in a hurry. Well, so let's talk a little bit about that, if you don't mind. So if if I recall correctly, and, and by all means, correct me if I'm wrong, and I'll just end up cutting this question. But uh, you you started to lose your faith or be tempted by the devil or whatever while you were still working in in Christian radio. Is that correct? Yeah, there was an artist that uh, we had on the radio. His name is uh, Rich Mullins. We actually had him in the morning show, the uh, spring of 97. And um, he did a concert that we had hosted. And it was a, you know, it was a big deal, you know, and he was a beloved guy. He was horribly killed in a car wreck in the fall of that same year. And it was charged to me and my co-host to go and tell everybody on the radio what had happened and and uh, I had to go and update the website. And so here I am, you know, posting a photograph of his face and talking about how God called him home and he's in a better place where there is no pain. There are no car accidents. And one day we'll all be reunited. And as I was sort of hammering all this stuff onto the website and we were speaking about this stuff on the air, there was a part of me that just came to this realization that we had constructed a coping mechanism to deal with this tragedy, that it just didn't ring true that God would bring this guy to the forefront of ministry beloved by millions and then have his have his body hit by a semi-truck in the middle of a highway at the prime of his career. It just made no sense. And, uh, you know, 9-11 was really big for me. I was uh, on Christian radio at Live 1015 at Clear Channel when that happened. They asked me to pray. <laughs> like all these other broadcasters from all these other stations who were really not religious. And you know, whenever tragedy happened, they all showed up in my studio and they asked me to pray for them because they were scared. Many of them were crying. We'd never seen anything like this before. You know, the towers are falling. And so here I am, you know, constructing this sort of lofty prayer. But under the surface, I'm like, you know, this... This is crazy. You know, the, the, none of what we're doing here makes any sense. And those were the two major things. There's about a thousand small ones. But for a long time, I just kind of went dormant. I just checked out. I, somebody asked me if I was a Christian. I said, well, of course I am. Mm -hmm. But I didn't participate religiously. I felt stupid praying about anything because it just seemed like an exercise in futility. I was a, I was a Christian in name only. And I checked out for a lot of years for that way. So now during that time, you're, you're still working for the radio station? Yeah, I actually jetted out of radio in 2004 to enter a video production job because radio is kind of a shrinking business. It, it, uh, 
It's mostly computers these days. So I got a job as a video producer in 2004. The kicker was, though, that the company that I got a job for, 80% of their clientele was churches doing fundraising videos. And so probably over the next, gosh, 11 years, I did. In fact, I worked for this company even in the, the la- until 2015. We traveled all around the country. Uh, shooting videos for churches who were building, you know, onto their facilities and having people give sometimes in the millions of dollars to promote God's good work. And I'll tell you, while I was doing this church work, my skepticism grew and grew and grew and grew and grew, you know, and I I just looked around and I I just saw theater and I saw us constructing a God in our own image or what we wanted God to be. I saw comfort mechanisms. I saw a lot of great community building. I saw, but everything I saw was human, human made. And um, finally at the, uh, you know, I launched the website, The Thinking Atheist in 2009, but I was still working for this company, right? And I was terrified. They were going to find out and let me go. And I was going to, I was going to pay the house payment and Mm. my life's falling apart. And uh, to their credit, the Christian owners of the organization, whenever all this sort of came together, uh, told me that they respected my right to not believe, and they funneled uh, in almost every instance. With unless there could be no exception, all the religious work went to somebody else, and I handled corporations and universities. But it was tough, you know. It was tough because I I I'd been kind of phoning in my faith for so long, and here I was front and center <laughs> with mm-hmm. all this all these churches. And I thought if they only knew how much how much bullshit I thought this was, you know, they'd probably kick me out of the church. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll tell you what, this interview went a little bit longer than I expected already. I, I don't want to keep you much longer, but I did have... I enjoy talking to you. No, it's always fun. Awesome. Awesome. So I got one final question for you, and I'm sure everyone's kind of wondering this one as well. Do you still find yourself like occasionally cracking out the old uh, Christian music <laughs> CDs? And uh, You know, I occasionally will post one on social media. Hey, look, here's the old Petra, not of this world. I had this on vinyl back in 1980, whatever, or or we'll, you know, we'll poke uh, fun at Christian metal. I don't know if you've seen any of those old Christian metal videos, you know, with bands like Deliverance and Blood Good. Oh, no. And Baron Cross, Rock for the King, these guys in white spandex with makeup on and white gloves and a fist in the air. And they're like, we will rock for the king. It's, just, <laughs> it's, it's a parody. Okay, it's a parody. You could not... You could create a parody of Baron Cross and you would not be able to tell the difference from the original... So I I don't post any of that stuff or listen to it seriously. Mm-hmm. And it, the truth is, is that I don't listen to it for pleasure either, because quite frankly, I I can't get past the fact that, that this is a tool to keep people locked in a lie. And I, everybody comes to me and they're like, oh, that's got a great melody and I enjoy the song and this brings back memories in a certain time of my life. And all those things are valid and good for you. But for me, when I hear... You know, Stephen Curtis Chapman, Michael W. Smith, Petra, DeGarmo and Key, any of those things. I do remember a certain time in my life. It was the soundtrack of my life during a certain year or even decade. But I'm overwhelmingly hit with this. This is not true. Mm-hmm. This is a lie that is being marketed and packaged and sold and bought. And I couldn't, I don't think I could enjoy it if I wanted to. And uh, so while I do enjoy talking about it and kind of how it framed my life at those times, 
I don't listen to Christian music in any way for pleasure at all. And uh, I I see so much of the marketing, the airbrushing behind what it is, how cynical the people in the business were, even when I was in the business. And they were cynical. Uh, We'd see the artist on the road. We'd talk to the record company execs and the promotion people, the, the machine of Christian music marketing. These people were business people in so many instances, or they were just burned out. And you could tell that... Now, their lives weren't what you saw on the album cover or on stage. They were just, in many cases, people just like everybody else. And uh, so, you know, I, I don't get any joy out of it. But, of course, I always enjoy coming on shows like this and taking that journey back because it is, it's fun to talk about what it is, what it was, what it did and didn't do, and, and uh, why I think there's so many better options out there. Well, I got to say, uh, my favorite interviews are always the ones where I learned something. I think I learned quite a bit today. Uh, so thanks again for being so generous with your time. Of course, if anybody wants to hear more from Seth, you can check out the Thinking Atheist podcast at thethinkingatheist.com or by checking the show notes for this episode. Seth, thanks again. I'd love to have you back sometime. Been a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Before we drive off into the sunset this week, I wanted to give you a quick heads up about a fundraiser the Australian skeptics are doing. Uh, Britt Hermes is a former naturopath who turned from the dark side and became a skeptic a while back. She's been paying penance for her time in naturopathy by exposing some of the virulent bullshit that undergirds that profession. And for her efforts, she's getting sued. Uh, Anyway, the skeptical community is coming together to try to help offset her legal fees on this one. So if you're in a position where you can help out, check the show notes for a link to more information. Much appreciated. Anyway, that's all the blast movie we've got for you tonight. But we'll be back in 10,022 minutes with more. If you can't wait that long, be on the lookout for a brand new episode of our sister show, The Skeptocrat, debuting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time on Monday. Our sister show's hot friend, God Awful Movies, debuting 24 hours after that. And our half-sister show, Citation Needed, debuting at noon Eastern on Wednesday. Obviously, I'd have a damn awkward time at the Baker Bucket Buffet if I neglected to thank Heath Enright for his magnanimous commitment to self-deprecating humor. I need to thank Eli Bosnick for a similar commitment to Heath deprecating humor. I need to thank the lovely and talented Lucinda Lusions for somehow managing to stay sane after reading through her sources every week. I want to offer one more big thanks to Seth Andrews of the Thinking Atheist Podcast for hanging out with me tonight. Again, you'll find his show linked on the show notes consistently, one of the best produced and most interesting atheist podcasts that you'll find anywhere. I also want to thank Wayne and Paul from the Mimi Call Podcast for providing this week's synchronized Farnsworth quote. If you'd like to explore meme-based culture alongside them, you'll find a link for their show on the show notes as well. But most of all, of course, I need to thank this week's best bipeds Garth, Gary, C. Picard, Kaylee, Adam, Felicia, Cassandra, Natalie, Red Tone, Six, Jen, John, Kevin, Greg, David, Jeffrey, Kosarama, Ding Dong, Duop, Shabop, Stacy, Katie, Ashley, and Brian. Garth, Gary, C. Picard, Kaylee, and Adam, who are such stable geniuses, they don't even have to tweet about it. Felicia, Cassandra, Natalie, Red Tone, Six, and Jen, whose brains were doing unlimited data plans way before it was cool. John, Kevin, Greg, David, and Jeffrey, whose cocks are so massive they're only allowed to go swimming in the ocean at low tide. And Kosarama, Ding Dong, Duop, Shabop, Stacy, Katie, Ashley, and Brian, whose asses are so sexy Trump would accept immigrants from their actual shitholes. Together, these 20 men, women, non-binaries, shades, and scat fills brought honor upon their generation by giving us money. Not everybody has the selfless commitment to scatological humor it takes to give us money, but if you think you're up to the challenge, you can make a per-episode donation at patreon.com slash scathingatheist, whereby you'll earn early access to an extended ad-free version of every episode, or you can make a one-time donation by clicking on the donate button on the right side of the homepage at scathingatheist.com. And if you'd like to help, but not if it's going to cost you money, you can also help us a ton by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes, liking our Facebook page, or playing random episodes for your students. Legal services for this podcast are provided by the law offices of P. Andrew Torres, and our audio engineer is Morgan Clark, who also wrote all the music that was used in this episode, which was used with permission. If you have questions, comments, or death threats, you'll find all the contact info on the contact page at scathingatheist.com.
right, so we've got uh, a few sound effects for you here, Morgan, but don't worry. Eli hasn't put in five different types of original music. You almost killed Morgan, Eli, <laughs> with that last week. Oh, my God. He's calling. He's going like, hey, man, do you mind if I just find some pod safe music for this shit? <laughs> I mean, like, I'll do hey. it. I'll fucking do it. I'll do it. But uh, Jesus Christ, you're going to get it at like one in the morning. And I'm like, yeah, two, no, that's- two years of short jokes. And the third kind of music, he was like, hey, motherfucker, <laughs> you know what I don't need? You. <laughs> the preceding podcast was a production of Puzzle and a Thunderstorm, LLC. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved.